Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Birkala, and I'm going to help Paul run through the big stories of the week, Memorial Day week, 2023. It was a short week because we had a graphic for Memorial Day and uh, just four commentaries. I thought we got some interesting responses to the commentaries. Uh, and on, on Tuesday, we started with destroying and saving debate. And uh, this was was basically uh, a debate judge. Uh, and, well, it, it comes from a debater who then became a debate coach. He had students uh, and and they had some judges that were, whoa, out there. And there is a national speech and debate association uh, that is affiliated with the schools that has a listing of debate judges and you can invite them. I, I suspect they get paid a little something and they come and, and judge debate. And this one judge who's a former uh, champion uh, debater herself said, before anything else, including being a debate judge, I am a Marxist, Leninist, Maoist. So she's she's taking credit for quite a number of atrocities uh, with that comment. And it gives you a pretty good idea of just what exactly um, some people, the, the, the criteria they use. Now, this National Speech and Debate Association, the NSDA, as we all know them, I don't know them. Anyway, uh, they they say you should judge by the, you know, talents showed in the debate and not according to your partisan political views. But there is an, a lot of judges putting out there that they are are judging these on their partisan political views. And the reason you do that is because you want to let people know but also because when you let people know, they don't go, oh, my goodness, you're, you you thought it was okay that 100 million people were slaughtered by, like, Russia and China? And, I mean, you, you, you wanted to, you had to go out of your way to include Mao? You wanted that 100 million deaths on your soul? That's your, that's your kind of MO? What the heck? And, and, but they get a good reaction. Because uh, apparently, otherwise they would scurry away. Otherwise, we'd be reading stories about a bunch of right-wing judges who were going to enforce their, you know, neo-fascist views and white supremacy, uh, and had it right on their right on their debate judge stuff. But we don't see those stories because those posts don't exist, and so we know which side the the bread gets buttered on. And we know that it is not only their right to post what they want. These are pages on a listing that's run by the NSDA. But they sign up, they're judges. It's their personal page. They can put whatever, whatever they want up there. The fact that they can put, I'm a Marxist-Leninist Maoist idiot, is... A sign that they're welcome there, and of course, it's it's right there in the academia box 
this is high school debate, but then they go on to college and there's college debates and the, it's high school teachers dealing with it and so on. Um, and we get to it. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's this one or another one where a number of people comment about the fact that, um, you know, it's, it's very tough uh, to get to, to have any trust in government and um and the left seems to want to take over every institution not just government but every institution and they have taken over the schools and that's why you know when people complain about some of the things is, that are going on i i'm not agreeing with every everything that a governor or a legislature has done on any of the you know various school issues but the complete neglect for parents to have any role whatsoever, and and uh, and just the the way the teachers unions during the pandemic just yanked around the government like it was theirs because it's theirs, and uh, uh, and didn't have to go to work even though that was the safest place of any workplace in America. It seems like the schools were the safest. Um, somebody can call me out. Find find a safer place. I don't think they'll find it. Not of any major employer, and. Um, and yet they were they were closed across the country because that's the power of that union. Here, James Fishbeck, who wrote an article about his experiences, he's also started a group, a new debate league, incubate, incubate debate, uh, basically trying to create uh, a, a new debate organization, a new debate league that high school students can be part of where you know, you're not judged by somebody's crazy Marxist, Leninist, Maoist viewpoint. Everybody has ideologies and values that are not the same as debate, right? They, I mean, we, you accept the rules of the game, but then you also have your opinions and your and, and your beliefs and so forth. But you, when you're when you're in a debating situation, you're supposed to accept the kind of the rules, and that's that's how it works. Yes. But but you hear in this piece that you wrote. Uh, you have a, a woman who is proudly going against the rules. I, I, it was, it was, it's kind of shocking to see someone who says, yeah, I'm not going to accept the rules. I'm always a Marxist-Leninist first, and I'm always going to judge right. on Marxist-Leninist. Well, that puts right. people who aren't Marxist-Leninist or are opposed to Marxist-Leninism at a weird disadvantage if they also want to hold rules up right if the idea is to uphold right. the rules of any group you're in or whatever but if the other side doesn't have that same attitude in the field of debate or whatever you're doing actually in a democracy either that is in in, in government right. if right. they feel they can lie cheat and steal you're at a huge disadvantage and the only i you, think that this guy is right the only thing to do if you can't boot them out is to form a new group now I would go one step further, and this is that's a, this has a this has a federal national consequence. The moral of the story is: if we can't kick out Marxist Leninists from government, and if if they won't abide the rules, if they're going to be corrupt, if they're going to do this, that, and the other that are against the rules, and they're going to then push their ideology all the way they can against you know, using every advantage in, in in a democracy, then the if we can't kick them out then we have to separate. That's what I think, is that I think the states have to start separating, literally, because it's not going to work if people in California and New York, 
if they get to take all the, you know, they just minimally cooperate with the laws of the land and then they push their agenda against, you know, around those laws. You do at a certain point, you create a separate country. You just, it happens because you're creating it. And, and there's no way to government up a reunification or a unification. We're not really separate yet, so we don't have to be unified, but we can bolster the unity in the country, but there's only one way. And that is for government to say, oh, you know what? We can coexist. This view, I don't agree with so-and-so, just like a debate judge would say, I agreed with the in in politics in the real world. I agree with your side of the debate, but you didn't make this argument and this argument, and the other side made these arguments that you didn't address. So you lose, even though I agreed with your viewpoint. That's what debate is. And in politics, it might be something to the effect of, you know, I don't support abortion, but you know, let's see if we could figure out some way that we don't have a complete rift in society or someone else saying, I do support abortion, but I, I willing to, to find some middle ground. And, and I'm not asking, I'm not arguing that, Oh, people should always find middle ground. Sometimes they need to say, you know what, let's put a big fence right here and God bless you. You know, you do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. That's sometimes the best, approach but uh but if nobody's talking to each other if everybody wins by kind of rushing to the the other side is screwy and and we're not going to talk to them uh it's a problem and and it's hard to argue against that when you see things like the way these you know something like debate which i can remember i was in high school debate and, uh, you know, I had judges that I thought, you know, might not have liked the, the our viewpoint on a certain like, you know, you have a, a gun control was one of the things which I thought was always a great case to go negative on. But you had some people then who I felt a couple of times that judges, they didn't write it. I like gun control. So you lose. Uh, they they made all kinds of arguments, of, you know, about maybe some mistakes that we did make. But I thought that that sometimes would cost you a debate because that the judges would lean the other way. But the but but when it's just out in the open, my goodness. And um, and here there were several cases. We didn't play those up as much, uh, but there were several uh, examples in this article that the that Fishbeck wrote that that pointed to race stuff that uh, white people can't make this argument about race that should be reserved to people of color making that argument and you know when you're when a certain arguments can only be made by people of certain colors you realize how much you know you think about the culture's going no it's gone it's gone the culture in our schools is yes race is the most important thing you can know about someone and you can know the goodness or the badness of a person by the color of their skin. That's what's being taught and reinforced day after 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 day. 
Well, that was May 30th, Destroying and Saving Debate. Did you want to hitch on to Wednesday for May 31st? Uh, look who took a mile. Look who took a mile. I have to say that. Yes, better. we could. Yes, we could. Um, uh, and and who was it? Uh, Mrs. Bricks. Um, what is her first name? Isn't that the one? No, 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 no. This is a different one. This is about Deborah Burks. Okay, okay, okay. No, I clicked on the wrong click. I can't yeah. see. I okay. can't see without my glasses. So, so uh, the little things. So, uh, is it vanity that's preventing you from doing this right? Is that what you're saying? It's yes, that, that it is true. It is true. <laughs> it's Deborah. Because I thought I had her name in there, but I couldn't think of what her first name is. Um, you know, Pam was there in, and and this is basically about uh, Deborah Bricks has a book out explaining her role in the great uh, human you know, event that was the pandemic and just kind of happens to explain that she knew that there was no 15 days to stop the, you know, to, to flatten the curve. She was looking to, to lockdown and that she, in essence, said things to the American people. And I think it, it also seemed that she said things to people around her in government that were deceptive untrue, misleading, almost like you could put disinformation on it, and all with the goal to give her the power to, in essence, lock down society. And it, and I'm not suggesting that, you know, every every morning in the, in the mirror, she maniacally went, and I will lock down society. Um, and of course, it's not like she's gained, she gained billions of dollars, although I wonder what, what medical deals she has. I mean, most people don't know, and I don't know if we've ever done a piece directly on it. We've talked about this a little bit, but Fauci, others at the NIH are making money off of things that government grants and their work has helped develop at some level, although at a certain level, it seems like it's at the same level that the CEO of a company gets credit for something that they worked on in some laboratory somewhere else with the CEO didn't work on it. <laughs> yeah. No. You know, and I'm, I'm not taking anything away from the CEO. He managed the whole thing and, and, uh, you know, God bless anybody who has that job, but, but it's the idea that Fauci is getting paid because of his brilliant scientific discoveries is BS. And there is a fiefdom in our government science apparatus monster that uh, that pays off these guys. Today, if you want to cash in on government, Congress is like number two. <laughs> and, and the NIH seems to be number one. You were interested in talking about the comments to this piece, though, apparently, right? I was, uh, um, just because... Uh, Pam, of course, said they saved thousands of lives. And uh, th that doesn't seem to really be the case. But but uh, she also said that you're OTL, which I believe means out to lunch. Yes, it took me a minute because it's an old fashioned one. You know, you, you, back in the day, you said somebody was out to lunch. You didn't say they were OTL. But uh, but anyway, I appreciated that. You know, Pat pointed out that they should lose their their jobs and so on. Um I thought, uh, and and they should, uh, but of course they're leaving and, and in essence cashing in on pension and everything else they get. 
uh, I like that at the end, not so free said, I hear there is plenty of room available at Gitmo. Um, but there's no reason to take anybody to Gitmo, um, ever. And, uh, it, and, and part of this is, you know, we'd like to go get Fauci and get this person and so on. Um, and it's not that they don't deserve it, but, you know, we got big problems to solve. This isn't about, boy, if we just got Fauci and he paid a price, you know, if the mob turns against Fauci, he could pay a price. This is a, a level of unaccountability. Our government, there's a crisis that happens. And I think as we look back with the, with, you know, the benefit of time, crisis is going to almost be overstated. I mean, a lot of people died, but it was not, uh, a lot of people died, I think, because we created, a lot more people died than would have because we created insanity around it all. And we ripped apart our society and we we demonstrated, we, the government, we demonstrated to the people, we, that they really don't think in a crisis or a, you know, any sort of bad weather <laughs> that these rights trump what they want to do for us, to us, and everything else. And uh, and and that's, it, it's also scary that more people aren't pointing that out, but a lot of good people are pointing that out. A lot of people recognize that, that you know we live sort of behind enemy lines where the media we hear other things are are all are are all part of this societal narrative that is freaky scary like a dystopian novel like china today like you know china and russia and nazi germany and you know all of us are kind of rich enough that we're not Pol Pot's Cambodia, thank goodness. But um, uh, it's 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 a it's a totalitarian instinct that I think for medical stuff people didn't they got so whipped up with fear of death and and with you know this this craziness about it we're all gonna die um, and and I I wonder if that's not you know that. There isn't some religious component there that that uh, religion, in essence, they spend a lot of time preparing you for death. And and I think, you know, it, I mean, if you if you you different prayers and stuff, there, there's a lot of praying when people are dying and well, uh, you're so they focus on it. You're prepared from childhood. Now I lay yeah. me down to sleep. I mean, this that that one ends on a rather uh, amazing note for for a modern. I was person. already I was already asleep before <laughs> we got to the end. I don't know what you're talking about. Many of the big lessons of the pandemic haven't been learned yet, and though everybody knows them, we haven't taken them to heart. For one, you know, most of the deaths were associated with obesity, and obesity is the big killer here. And people aren't, you know, really people need to take this to heart. Is that we most of us need to lose weight now as you get older you get tend to get fatter and we all know this it's, i mean I, I had i had grandparents too and they were not exactly you know jack lalane uh but uh but 
Americans are incredibly obese, and many of our deaths were related to the, the high obesity rates. And around the world, the countries with the highest death rates, especially during the uh, pandemic, were of the obese yeah. people. And this is a this is something people should take to heart. And the interesting thing is that the government really doesn't say much about this, uh, because if the government were cared about us, you know, for health, they would not be prescribing us drugs. They'd be getting giving us advice on how to how to get fit. And the government right. isn't doing that, and that should be on our mind. The good is they're not, though, because because most people can get fit without without getting hoodwinked by the government to do it. Arguably, the government is the one responsible for us being fat because of the, what they did to the you know food pyramids, yes. uh, how they yes. uh, how they uh, have subsidized and organized uh, the uh, anti-fat craze and. Uh, how they suppressed the information about sugar that came out in the 70s yes, that people yes. will not talk about and things like that. My latent mother was an early person on the sugar that sugar was uh, she loved she loved pie and she loved sweets. So she didn't necessarily wasn't a perfect eater, but she was big on sugar. At some point in the 1970s, it was like we started looking around going, there's no sugar in this house. <laughs> <laughs> My brother hid uh, Cap'n Crunch under his bed, though. So sometimes late on a Friday night or Saturday night, you'd be kind of, hey, you got any? <laughs> when I was a kid, and probably that means around 9 and 10 and so, my favorite treat after school was to put in a piece of toast and then take it out, put butter all over it, and then put sugar all over it and then cover it in cinnamon. And the sugar would melt into the butter. The butter would come up onto the cinnamon. But I haven't had anything like that in 40 years. Every once in a while, I still, I, I have some cinnamon sugar mix downstairs. I, I, I try to be gentle with it, but. It's pretty but good. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> I remember as a kid buttering toast where you would try to get which today you wouldn't try to do because you'd realize i will die if i eat that but uh where you'd get the butter pooling on the, enough butter on it that it's like pooling as you eat it uh oh one fact check because you were pronouncing her name bricks and it's you spell correctly deborah brooks but uh but the reason you were was because one one of our great commentators john brennan uh called her bricks all the way through, spelled it bricks all the way through it you oh instead of bricks instead of bricks so that's how you got bricks on your mind it is i did bricks. say yes i said that yes i knew that yeah. wasn't right and then he and that's why you did it because you just read his because i know you want to talk about his if, his comments if, if people at home would rewind to that point yeah you just search for it for a while get the best point you can and then re-listen thinking no he meant <laughs> anyway <laughs> It's just that, that that's a that's a fact check. I don't remember these things very often, but that was one of cut. We much appreciate it. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, that was an interesting interesting uh, admission on her part. And uh, there's a lot of admissions out there. That's one of the interesting things. Is yes, it's like it's like they're 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 slowly trying to get ahead of the uh, consequences. Yeah. You know, there's another theory out there, and it's one of my favorite. Uh, how shall I say, uh, paranormal theories, is you know, according to lore, even the devil cannot completely deceive you. He 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 has to tell the truth at some point and get and tricks you to getting in on the on on the deal. The devils have to tell the truth; they can't completely lie. 
So they have to say it every now and then, the truth. That's the, that's the theory of deviltry. Uh, it, yes. It's related to the you know contracts of the devil, which are you know never good things to sign up on. Is that was that's what I got from the the contracts of the devil lore, uh, because they're tricky. But they do yes. tell the truth. They're they're not outright lies. They don't say unless just, you've got Daniel Webster as your attorney right there beside you. You know, I still haven't read that. I story. wouldn't make a deal with the devil. I haven't I haven't read that story. I really need to. Anyway, you know, you I don't remember it uh, really well, but I read it not too long ago because I I don't remember reading it as a kid. It was when I was an adult that I I actually read it. It was very popular in the first half of the 20th century in America. That was that was one of the you know people's favorite stories. And now I don't think people know anything about it. The Devil and Daniel Webster uh, by yeah. Bennett, right? Now the devil's down in Georgia playing some fiddle or something. Yeah, it's there like, you are. No, it's just not the same thing, but. Hey, the uh, the one that I thought was uh, uh, got the most reaction from folks uh, this week was "Don't Make It Easy," and uh, uh, this is one that just uh, we, I, I can't imagine anyone who sees these videos and the videos I'm thinking of the are, are the folks the ones they're always showing. Um, where the guy, the folks are coming out of stores in San Francisco with their arms just full of like coat fur coats and stuff like that. That's very troubling to see. You realize that society is breaking down at a level that means there may not be coats for people. You know, if people can't make coats and sell them for money, they will stop making coats. And I'm not very good at making a coat. And I live in a place that in the winter sometimes gets cold. I mean, I'm just pleading. Could we have enough capitalism to stop the stealing of the coats? Let's steal everything else. I'm sure this dynamic doesn't work with other things, does it? Um, and this is the uh, the, the case of uh, uh, Lula. I can't. I don't think I can even say this now. You, you've never said it correctly to me. It's Lululemon. <laughs> <laughs> Lululemon. Well, that's yeah. exactly as, as it's spelled, but it has a has a bunch of vowels and and. In fact, I can't remember how you ever pronounce it, but it's always something weird. Yeah, yeah. Say, say I, it, Lululemon. So I, you know, I don't think I ever have said that correctly. No, you, now you're fine. But now I'm now I'm just right as rain. That's yeah. right, that's how it is. It's a great country, isn't it? Yeah. Um. So there's two employees at Lululemon in, in Georgia. And there is a, it's not really a break-in. People walk in and they start to steal stuff, just openly steal stuff. And the policy they have is to leave them alone, almost to facilitate, you know, if they need, they need a drink of water because they get thirsty as they're stealing stuff, maybe offer them some water. Uh, don't call the police. And these folks uh, kind of got upset about what was going on, a little bit scared, and they called the police. And later they were fired from their jobs for calling the police. And, you know, th that's one of those incentives that's going the wrong way. It's going the wrong way, and it it and I don't think I don't think it makes you an arch conservative 
to think that's going the wrong way. I think every liberal person that I've ever, I won't say every, but almost every liberal person I've ever met is going to say, no, that's going the wrong way. That's not how it should, should work. And, and on a lot of stuff, there is, you know, there's always been the debate about high-speed chases and different things to stop criminals that might endanger other people. I think, you know, you have to look at those things and make sensible calculations and, you know, it, it, it's, it's not rocket science and, and I'm, I'm convinced we can come to the right place, but the right place just cannot be, Oh, well, we're just going to let people steal that. Like in California where they raised the, the, now you can steal a little bit over a thousand or just under a thousand dollars. And if, as long as you're under that mark, it's like the, you know, the police is walking by. He's not going to stop and tell you to stop. Uh, you know, this is, this is, and we've talked about it, Tim, because it's, it's, you know, we can all kind of go, oh, this is crazy. It's loony. This is not accidental. This is purposeful. This is a strategy. This didn't break out in one part of the country. They started doing this. This is the left's playbook. And I say the left, I'm not talking about every person who's on the left, but this is the playbook again and again and again. And and things like uh, somebody being let out on no bail who beat someone almost to death and then beating someone death to death the next day. And still it's kind of like, well, you know, we wouldn't want to really look at the, the bail laws and, and, you know, there, there's, I'd, I have never been someone who is afraid. Um, and, and I have some appreciation for uh, women being the weaker sex generally, not in every case, uh, but generally, and the fear of, of physical attack. And it's not like I'm a big guy and I'm a lover, not a fighter. So, you know, <laughs> nobody's scared on that, on that level, but I'm right at six feet tall and I'm a man, not a woman. And, you know, it, I just never have been that concerned, but I'll tell you, uh, you know, I go into Washington, DC, even during the day, I'm, I'm very careful, but at night I'd be super, super careful to be looking around and to be looking at crowds and to, and I wouldn't want, I, I would not get on the Metro. I've been all over that Metro. I used to, I used to work and I'd, I'd work all night uh, and I'd get on the train in the morning and I'd fall asleep. And so I'd, I'd go all the way to the other end and wake up, you know, someone would go, get up here. We're at the end. And of course my, my house is in the middle. And then I get back, I'd fall asleep. You know, I'd sleep for a couple hours as I was swinging back and forth the city of Washington in my uh, uh, sleep on the, on the Metro, but I wouldn't want to get on it today. I mean, it, it's, it's every week someone's being shot on there. That's not. Uh, and, and it's, you see this breakdown. Um, there's, there's a reason there are cities and some of the danger, I mean, it's always going to be a little bit more dangerous where there's all these people packed together than in the middle of some, you know, forest somewhere. Uh, not that there aren't some dangers there, but, but, you know, uh, but 
this sort of breakdown, you know, we need these cities. And, and I, you know, I have to say, uh, you know, I, I never saw myself as a city kid. And when I was a kid, you know, you had people who were from the city and people from the suburbs or rural areas. Uh, but there's much more of a there's much more of a divide, I think, today about that. And uh, I know and I know people in cities who are moving out of cities. Now, part of that is is probably getting older and not having the same, you know, <laughs> the same willingness to put up with certain things certain inconveniences uh for the thrill of the of the city um but i think i think a good bit of it all over the country is is uh fear cities have always had a different ethos a political ideology associated with them com- compared to the country but yes. they always have uh, from ancient sumer we can we, we have uh, historical records that show that the country folk thought that the people of the city were reprobates and the people in the city thought the country folk were all bunkin ignorant uh, right. fools and they, they, that that idea that's been going a long time but if the cities are reservations for criminality that's a really strange situation to be in because that's 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 uh you know we get the word civilization from the city itself yes and if civilization is easier you know the what we think of as peaceful civilization and productive work is going to be relegated to rural life that is going to be a very interesting flip yes you know i think back to uh i had an uncle who was in in detroit i think it was 67 that they had the riots in detroit and so on but we used to go up i my relatives both my my mom and dad grew up in jackson michigan and and uh we would go up to see relatives in the summer and lots of times go. My mom's a fanatic, uh, was a fanatic uh, baseball fan for the Tigers. Uh, and and we'd go see a game. And I always remember, because of course, 68, 69, I'm eight, nine years old. Um, uh, I'm, you know, that, that there was a certain carefulness going into Detroit then. And, uh, and, you know, we went, we lived outside of New York. We went to games in New York and, you know, a big city like that parents are always, you know, don't, don't get lost. Okay. Uh, so there's, there's a certain amount of that, but no real, no real fear. And I remember years later going through Washington and, uh, this was after 68, 69, uh, Martin Luther King being killed, riots there and some, some concern there to be careful uh and and you know watch out and and but other than that i don't in in my young life i don't remember being concerned going into cities and and new york you know new york i remember always being concerned you might you might smell some things that you don't want to smell some garbage and and uh but uh you know I'm sure other people might have been concerned about other things, but as a young person, I wasn't, I wasn't super worried about going into the city. Um, And I think, I, I think, I think it's a lot more dangerous today. Yeah. I'm curious about that because seventies was not a good time for New York anyway. No, no, it wasn't. Well, but you know, here's the, here's the difference I think. And, and so maybe it's not statistically, maybe it's the same. It, to me, it's totally disconcerting. Like if there was some terrible thing in New York, like Bernard Getz, 
who was the white guy who shot a couple of black guys in the in the subway and supposedly they were trying to beat him up. And then there was a question, were they really trying to beat him up or was he looking for a situation where he could unload some guns and so on? He ended up getting off, I believe, if memory serves me correctly. Um, and I remember at the time thinking he probably should. But there was there was no question, I think, in people's minds that if there was evidence that these guys did try to beat him up, that he was justified in defending himself. And at the same time, I don't think there was any people anywhere that if there was evidence that he just set the whole thing up to shoot people down, that that was okay. And we live in a world today where you get the evidence to show or you realize, you know, these people have, uh, uh, you know, the, the way our, our health officials have been, whereas now they're going to kind of complain that we're, well, we didn't exactly tell you the truth. You know, that, that's serious stuff. And this idea that people can rob things and, well, maybe that's okay. Don't get all upset about it. We don't live in a civilization anymore. And it's it doesn't cease to be a civilization because of the one or two incidents of uncivil behavior. It ceases to be a civilization when those incidents are no longer seen as anything out of the ordinary and, and really nothing to nothing to really even waste your breath about. That's the way the world works. Well, I can fact check you on this one. Uh, Gets uh, received a sentence of one year incarceration and a $5,000 fine and served eight months. Ooh. I remember being a little surprised by the outcome at the time. But then, of course, I was a long way from New York City. That was 1984, and I was, uh, you know, back where, where I'm pretty much right now. I've always had a love for New York just because as I, you know, I lived actually outside of Chicago when I was a little kid. But from two to six, I lived in, or two to eight, uh, I lived in outside of New York City. And uh, and we used to go into the city. And I've always gone back as an adult. And it just, you know, I, I love that town. It seems to like have a heartbeat of its own. And, and you know, it's... Uh, of course, I'm kind of a, in that way, I guess, a, a Randian capitalist uh, guy who who likes, you know, what mankind has created, even though it may not be as beautiful as what was here that we didn't create. It's it's still pretty neat. What I liked about the 60s and 70s, because I was a kid, too, at the same time, is that we could wander around a city a, a little bit on our own. We didn't need to be chaperoned everywhere. And now and I used to see kids everywhere or even just a. 20 years ago, I used to see kids wandering around. Now you don't see kids wandering around very much anymore. Part of that was the baby boom and the the uh, the the fact that there were bunches of kids. So as a parent, you could feel a little bit safer that it's, it's not just my kid and one other kid on some crazy street. It's there's 25 kids out there. My goodness, you know, not that that always meant they were safe. But but anyway, hey, um, I thought it was interesting that our Friday piece, now, uh, Tim and I are curmudgeons, we're not, you know, we're not sweet, nice people, but we are sometimes thoughtful that on Friday, maybe after people have read about, you know, the dysfunction that is reality, uh, that they need some hope, something to make it into the weekend safely. 
And uh, and so on Friday, a lot of times we have lighter pieces and not always, but, you know, we think about it. And this week we just had a, a success story uh, where the Pacific Legal Foundation uh, had represented several people in in court. Uh, it's called Government Greed Swept in Doubleheader. Uh, these are two U.S. Supreme Court cases uh, that came down on the same day. Uh, both the PLF was involved in this. It must have been a pretty big day uh, for folks at the Pacific Legal Foundation. But about uh, government trying to steal a bunch of money that that uh, one of the, the cases that's gotten a, a lot of play has been the the 94 year old and uh, she ran behind on her taxes. They took her home, sold it and then wanted to keep not only what they were owed with penalties and the original taxation and so on, but the whole kit and caboodle for the house. And uh, and which is just absolutely outrageous. I mean, it's government as as a highway man. And uh, but nice to you know, nice to uh, see that there are groups in our society. Thank God that that we have a uh, a civil society uh, that's very healthy and uh, groups that can fight some of what's going on. And um, Daniel Kean McKernan, who who often comments uh, and and uh, makes good sense and and adds to the discussion, pointed out that because uh, we we mentioned one of the cases with nine to nothing. The other case about the wetlands and basically, you know, that uh, the the other case on the wetlands for years, you've heard this thing that if there's some part on your property, you know, that that's wet a certain part of the year that the government can claim the whole thing is wetlands and so on. And the government shot that down and that was shot down nine to nothing. So this is, you know, people can talk about this court as outrageous and so on. But some of these things are very important and different pointed decisions. You know, the, the laws, they're, they're pushing back on the way that these regulations have been enforced. And that's a long time coming. And that's both Republican and Democrat appointed judges. So it, it means something, I think, uh, really big there. And then the other part was Pat, uh, who said, good way to end the week two heartening stories and it just warmed my heart because we're always trying to think of you know what's a good friday piece and uh and pat is saying uh this is it thank you very much gents and uh pat thanks for letting us know what really strikes me about this piece now is the image affixed to it the image at top it's not really all the heartwarming because there's a lizard man there. I don't even know what it means, but I just love it. You know, I do like that. I think it's kind of showing government agents as greedy, sort of. But uh... yeah, no, that must be it. And I must say, can you imagine, you know, being in government and you're supposed to be a civil servant and all that, and your job is to take away the home of a 94-year-old woman? Can you imagine, what is that like? I mean, that's an amazing thing. <laughs> and you can imagine having that job. You're, you know, you're two weeks from retirement, whatever it is. You know, you got reason to kind of, I can't just not do. But wouldn't you think, like, I would think any place that I was willing to work, I would say, hey, wait, wait. Um, 
we can't keep the whole thing. We have to give back. You can't, I mean, somebody at some position, and and look, I'm sure there's plenty of people in the private sector who would know we're grabbing the whole thing. But I know plenty of people in the private sector who would stop and say, no, no, this isn't right. We're going to change how this works. And we need a we need a society where people step up and say, no, 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 I don't see it the same way. And and that's the the, the scariest part of the pandemic. We, I've, I've, been, I've located numerous things that just keep getting scarier and scarier. But maybe the scariest part of the pandemic is that that as you as you like, you know, debate some of these different things, the level of don't debate it, don't question. We all have to be somehow on the same page. They're experts. This is about free speech is one thing, but this is about medicine. And and when you think of that, that's 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 the the path to a society where there isn't free speech. And if there's any place that that's deadly, it's deadly in medicine. Well, there we are. That's the end of the week. All right. And we get to live another week. No matter how deadly our our government science complex is. Okay. As always, these podcasts can be seen at thisiscommonsense.org, just like every one of your comments, but they're hosted on Rumble and SoundCloud. Yes. And uh, and we we I seems like we get more pickup at Rumble than we got at YouTube. Well, I'm hoping that's the case. I haven't really been looking like recently. That. People should go and sign up on Rumble and you know subscribe. And uh, and I think they used to call it if you clicked like on something, you're rumbling it. I'm not sure they have that lingo anymore. But uh, come on, should... let's rumble. There let's you are. rumble. There you are. Ready okay. to rumble. Okay. All right. Thanks. See ya. Bye-bye.